You're listening to the Hello Awesome Podcast, and this is episode number 134. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Hello Awesome Podcast. JC here. I am so excited to bring you the final episode of season eight. We have had some amazing conversations. I have been so blessed to speak with these amazing women of God about their incredible testimonies. And I was so excited to teach you about the fruit of the Spirit. We had our last episode highlighting that Bible study last week. So if you have not caught up, there's still time. You can go back and listen. But today I'm going to bring you the final interview of the season with Dacia Dillon. She is a powerhouse woman of God. I am so proud of what she is doing by allowing God to use her in such a mighty way in the kingdom of God. And in this episode, Dacia opens up about her life as a child, growing up in a multicultural home and how she had to endure abuse and the way God pulled her out of that situation and placed her into an amazing calling on an amazing path. I cannot wait for you guys to listen to all of the discussions. Before we get into it, I just want to thank you guys for supporting the Hello Awesome podcast, the shop, all of the things. I am transitioning out of the shop and actually feeling like God wants me to just really embrace the ministry in a more, I guess, deep way. And I feel like I needed to just address this on the podcast. The books are not going anywhere. The podcast for now is not going anywhere. It's just the shop part of Hello Awesome. Ever since I can remember, Hello Awesome always has had a shop with mugs and t-shirts and all sorts of merch. And it just is not viable anymore. Uh, It's not financially supporting anything anymore. Uh, You guys have been blessing the ministry by buying books on Amazon, which I encourage you to still do. All you have to do is just head to Amazon.com, type in J.C. Pulford, that's J-A-C-Y-P-U-L-F-O-R-D, and purchase my books that's really helpful in supporting the ministry of Hello Awesome. You can also go to Hello Awesome on Instagram at Hello Awesome Live. And on my link tree there, there is a donation button. You can also give to the ministry that way. But as of October 1st, which would have passed now uh, when this comes out on the 3rd, uh, there is no shop attached to Hello Awesome. It is just the books and the podcast and any resources digitally that I would like to create. And I want to give space to see what God is going to do. I feel like he wants me to just give up that control for the shop and uh, release that part of the ministry. And so I want to thank you for always supporting me whenever I've had a new mug or a new t-shirt, all of that. Uh, Merch is fun, I know, but it actually hasn't done as well as uh, it has in the past. And I feel like that path or um, that avenue of the shop is at a close right now. So I want to just thank you guys for all your continuous support. Continue buying my books. uh, Continue showing up and listening to the podcast. That also helps. And yeah, I just want to thank you guys for always, always um, sharing the love on social media. That's huge. And just believing with me what God is doing through Hello Awesome. So thank you one last time. And let's get into this episode. Here we go, guys. This is the last episode of the season 
episode number 134 that I am calling Victory and Grace with Dacia Dillon. Hey guys, I'm JC. Are you ready for real conversations about faith, business, and life? Me too. This is the Hello Awesome podcast where I bring forth topics and truthful insights that will encourage you to make intentional choices and pursue God with your whole heart. Are you ready to say hello to the awesome blessings that God has for you? All right, let's do this. As you know, every season I have wonderful friends that are willing to bless you with some deals, and this season is no different. Back again to sponsor the podcast is our good friends over at Nuggles. If you are looking for stylish yet comfortable modest clothes this season, Nuggles has the best items to add to your closet at an affordable price. Just use our special code HelloAwesome10 for 10% off at Nuggles.us. That's N-U-G-G-L-E-S dot U-S and upgrade your modesty game right now. It's hard to know what products are toxic for your skin these days, right? But shopping with Oneness Essentials, you won't have to worry about anything except how to not be completely obsessed. Like with their luscious lotion sticks, creamy body butter, and handmade cold pressed soaps available in so many scents. Never worry about dry skin again. Use code HELLO8 for 15% off your order at onenesssoapbiz.com. That's O-N-E-N-E-S-S-S-O-A-P-B-I-Z.com today. Kaylee is a modest shop for athletic apostolics and the daily go-getter. With quality stretchy skirts and dresses, Kaylee has what you need to make your wardrobe more versatile. Use code HelloAwesome15 for 15% off your order on their website, Kaylee.com. That's K-H-A-Y-E-L-Y.com. And check out their wide selection today. Listen, I love being artsy. You should know that. But my handwriting kind of isn't the best. Thankfully, we have the Graceful Pen, a place for joyfully handmade stationery and gifts to uplift inspire and encourage table cards invitations gift tags and envelope calligraphy are just some of their beautiful services i truly think the graceful pen is doing something so wonderful and i hope you will take advantage of using our code s-o-h-a-p 22 for five percent off your custom calligraphy service this season Our last sponsor of the Hello Awesome podcast is truly changing lives while also nourishing our skin with a spa-like quality. Delish Lips offers organic skincare with aromatherapy while donating 100% of their proceeds to World Missions. Shop this unique but powerful ministry by going to delishlipsnaturalbeauty.com and consider the change you are contributing to all around the world in the name of Jesus. Hey guys, welcome back to the Hello Awesome podcast. I cannot wait to get to this interview. I've been so excited to talk to Dacia um, after hearing her on a different podcast and seeing her speak and just amazing, you know, words of encouragement on social media. And I'm so excited to 
to have her here with me today. Dacia, thank you for taking the time to be here and to share your heart with us and your story. I really do appreciate it. Can you please take a minute to just share with us a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Thank you so much for having me on. It truly is a blessing. I'm excited for this conversation. And so, yeah, just a little bit about myself. Uh, I currently reside in a small town here in California called Delano. I'm more of like the Central Valley of California. Right now, currently, I am so blessed to be able to be our district president for our young people, the uh, South Central Messengers of Peace out here in California. Um, School-wise, I am getting ready to wrap up my master's in school counseling. I've been studying the past years at Fresno State University and in the subject of school counseling. And last but not least, I always attribute this as one of the just greatest blessings of my Christian walk. I was very blessed to attend Christian Life Bible College out in Stockton all of year 2021. Um, I didn't get to finish my associate's degree out there because God called me back home to serve. And I knew that it was just the time for my season to wrap up there, but I'll be finishing up my associate's here in these next couple of months for Christian Life College. But overall, I'm just so blessed. God has been so good. And I'm just grateful to be able to serve our young people. I'm grateful to see how my ministry has been very interconnected to my career and just what God has been doing overall. So it truly is a blessing. Yeah, absolutely. I think we need way more absolute counselors out there. Amen. I love hearing that so much. Amen. I think it is important for sure to have educators that not only will be a blessing to our students and to our children, but they just have that truth. I think it mm-hmm. makes such a difference in the classroom. I mean, you know, when a light shines and a light is, is definitely godly. So I'm all for apostolic educators. That sounds like we need to come back for another episode just on that. (laughs) Amen. I'm with you. (laughs) So like most of the guests on here, I just happened. I shouldn't say just happened. Obviously, we know all things work together. Uh, But I did come across your testimony on Instagram. Someone shared it. I can't remember even how I came across it, to be honest. But it blessed me so much in, in what you shared. And you really just talked about your story with such conviction and really giving God glory. And so I wanted you to, to take us back to when you were a little girl, you know, you said you um, are in California now, were you always in California? Did you grow up, grow up there? And how was your home life like when you were younger? Yes. So I lived in California my whole life. I was born in Bakersfield, but I currently reside in the town of Delano. I've lived there pretty much my whole life. And so my testimony or background as a young girl is I was not born and raised in this truth. Uh, I actually was definitely something you would consider just kind of on the outskirts of this truth and this gospel. But uh, I grew up in a very just dysfunctional home. And um, I'm actually grateful to be able to have this space to share my testimony. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't know this about me, but um, 
whenever people see my last name, they get a little thrown off by it because they're like, okay, wait, you look a certain ethnicity, but then your last name, like what ethnicity are you? Mm -hmm. I get that question quite often. And I know we were kind of talking about our ethnicities beforehand. Mm -hmm. And so um, I am actually half Hispanic and half Punjabi Indian. So my mom is Hispanic. She's from uh, Mexico and my dad is Punjabi Indian from India. And so um, growing up, that was always kind of like a little fun fact that I would tell people when they would ask me, but um, there's a very dark truth to that as well. And so right now, predominantly, and it has, you know, been something that has been passed down from generation to generation. And of course, it's become a little bit more accepting over time, but -hmm. it's still something very predominant in the culture, the Punjabi Indian culture, if you marry outside of your culture, of your ethnicity of people, you are disowned from the family. And so you can imagine a lot of just the, the tension that my parents underwent because of my father marrying outside of his culture. And so with that being said, when I was around six months old, um, my Punjabi Indian father could not handle the tension of, you know, the disowning of his family. So he ran away. Uh, My mother became a single mother overnight with two twin daughters. I'm a twin, by the way. And so overnight, my mother became a single mother. Mm. And to this day, I have never met my biological father. I don't know who he is. I've never met him. My mom has never seen him since that day. And it's a very uh, difficult pill to swallow Um, which is why I don't mention it often, but I I did feel, you know, as I was kind of praying before this episode to share it, Mm -hmm. because it is something I feel like a lot of times we get very scared to share the reality of a, of a testimony of a story, but that's where we see the redemption plan of God being able to turn that around. There's nothing too scary for God. There's no testimony that's too, too scary for God. And so, you know, at the age of six months, I, Uh, I didn't know what it was like to have a father. I kind of grew up those first few years without a father. And my stepfather came into the picture when I was around um, two and a half to three years old. And ironically, my stepfather also happened to be Punjabi Indian. Mm. And so um, I do take the biological last name of of my father. um, But my stepfather was also Punjabi Indian. And so, of course, then came in that second round of tension it probably wasn't as bad as the first round, but Mm -hmm. it was definitely something that was still overshadowing the marriage. And so with that being said, um, there was a lot of domestic abuse that I began to see around the age of two and a half or three when my stepfather married my mother. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I know what it's like to see domestic abuse in the home. It first started with my mother and then it went unto me and my sister. So we started getting physically abused when we were around the age of three, as early as I could remember and have just a memory to remember it. And it's a little sad that you, you remember those things. And uh, those are the moments that I remember as early as my childhood. And I still remember abuse happening, although Mm -hmm. that's the earliest kind of snapshot that I have of my childhood. And so we grew up in a very fearful, dysfunctional home. I could truthfully say that my relationship with my stepfather was never something out of love or out of um, just cherishment, but it was something out of fear and reverence. I uh, gave reverence to my father, one, because of the culture, but two, because of the fear that I had for him. 
And so it was never something that was inviting out of love, but it was more forceful out of fear. And so it was definitely a home where there was a lot of lack of peace, a lot of fear. And, and when you think about a, an environment uh, that doesn't have God, well, every spirit is automatically invited that is against God. So right. you have fear, you have lack of joy, you have out of order, you have chaos, all these things that have just made themselves uh, an invitation into your home because God is not present. And mm-hmm. I, so I think there's just so much power, you know, um, when, when it says, as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord because it's an, an invitation to the spirit of God in your home. Yes. And when there's not an invitation, everything out of order will take place. Right. And so it was a very just dysfunctional home. Um, I hated coming home from school. It was really kind of one of those stories where I hated coming home from school. It was very fearful. I had to put on a a, a very fake smile at school, you know, just Mm -hmm. see things that a a child under the age of 10 should have never been exposed to at that young age. Um, It was very vivid and abuse in every form of way, physical, emotional, verbal, and uh, just just a home where you you just ask yourself, is there any hope to this? Is there any light at the end of the tunnel? Uh, and, you know, that was just the upbringing that we grew up in. And uh, I mentioned that I'm a first generation apostolic. And so the way that that kind of unfolds is uh, I I'm a sibling of four. And so it's me and my twin and I have two younger siblings. We have a big age gap. My yeah. brother is uh, 16 years old and my little sister is 15 years old. So we're about 10 years older than them. And when my mother was pregnant with my youngest sister, well, she needed a babysitter. And somehow she got in contact with this woman that happened to be an acquaintance of my uncle. She wasn't even familiar with my mom, but she happened to be an acquaintance of one of our family members and this woman uh happened to be a babysitter and she started to take care of my younger siblings well my mom decided well I need you girls to be taken care of as well because you're not exactly old enough yet we were only 11 Mm -hmm. so this uh woman that happened to be a babysitter started taking care of all of my siblings including myself well lo and behold this woman happened to be apostolic wow And uh, she lived a block away from an apostolic church. And we started getting babysat by her and her daughter. She has three kids. Her daughter was the Sunday school teacher for kids our age. And her daughter started taking us to church. And of course, at first, I wanted nothing to do with church. I was very cold, even though I was only 11 years, only 11 years old. But when you've seen what you've seen, when you've experienced what you've experienced, it leaves you at a very tough spot emotionally and mentally. And so as a kid, I was very cold. I was very withdrawn. Um, I use humor a lot to actually cover up a lot of what I was dealing with. Yeah. And a, a way of coping. And so, um, when they started taking us to church, I just, I wanted nothing to do with this this God because I had this mentality that, well, if this God was real and if this God loves us, why would he allow us to go through this hurt? And that's the mentality of a lot of individuals that have not met Christ yet have. If this God is so loving, why would he allow us to go through this? And I think one of the lessons and one of the biggest just lessons that I had to learn in this was God was not the cause of it. 
He right. was not the one hurting me. Yes, God is is so sovereign that he everything that happens in this world is passed through him, but that doesn't mean he's the initial cause of it. And I had to understand that God was not the one hurting me. He had seen every single detail since the moment I was a thought in my mother's womb, but that doesn't mean he was the initial cause of it. And so going into church, I came in with this very broken and hurt mentality, but God has a way of just showing you his overpowering love and embracing you. And so that was a little bit, and I'll I'll talk about that in one of the questions later on, but that was just one of my biggest preconceived notions and mindsets that I had with God. But just when the Holy Ghost gets a hold of you, and when the touch of God gets a hold of you, it smashes and crushes and it changes every mentality that you come in with your hurt and your brokenness. And God has the ability to just turn it around. And the very first moment God touched me, I knew I'm never going to feel this love anywhere else. I'm never going to be able to encounter a love so great that just hugs me and embraces me like this. And I knew this was it. I knew God was it. And what was crazy, I don't share this with a lot of people, but what was crazy was a few days before I walked into this church, a few days before I met this babysitter, I kind of, uh, curled up in the corner of my room. And I said, if you're real, I got to such a desperate place. Uh, only being 11 years old, I said, God, I've never talked to you before. I don't even know if you're real. I don't even know if you're hearing me, but if you're real, can you just show me that you are? And a few days later, God allowed us to start being taken care of by this babysitter being taken to this church. And that's where I encountered God and ultimately true love. And so that's the story of it all, just in a nutshell, yeah. of course. Well, yeah, that's a big nutshell, though. And uh, well, first, I want to, I want to, you know, I really do appreciate you opening up because this is a very vulnerable story. Obviously, you have memories attached to this story. When we listen to this story, you know, it might trigger some memories for other people who are listening So I don't take it lightly that you're sharing this story. So I want to thank you for being open and willing to share. Um, You know, uh, I was listening to you and I was thinking about the next question. And and now it kind of makes sense of, of why you probably didn't trust God, because how could you trust him when you, you really couldn't trust any adult in your home, you know, you're, you're supposed to be trusting these adults that obviously they weren't um, being honest or truthful or loving. So I could only assume that you felt like obviously that there was no safety at home, which makes sense given that you didn't even want to come home when you were, you know, the school school was done, um, which I actually have heard happens um, to a lot of people when they have homes that are just unsafe you know, even people that you loved felt unsafe. So I, I wanted to know, would you agree that you felt like there was no safety, that you didn't have that safety that that you craved? Oh, absolutely. And I feel like you hit it spot on when you say, you know, your perception of love here on earth, a lot of times affects your perception of your heavenly father. Yeah. And so I think for me, you know, as a child, love is automatically one of those feelings that you you crave you search for as a child and and the very first place that a child is supposed to find that is in their love 
with their parents, but what do you do when that's nowhere to be found? When a child can't feel that, can't see that in their very own home, well, it leaves them feeling very vulnerable and at a very just unsafe place. And so you can imagine as a child, just looking for that, it was very scarring. It left me very vulnerable. If I couldn't find it in my own home, then where can I find it? And so one of the interesting things about that question is I feel like that is the case with a lot of individuals that have experienced their mother or father walk out on them or just not have that love being given to them in their home. It begins to affect their relationship with their heavenly father. And I did not realize that until years in my Christian walk, until God had to actually expose that area of my heart. And uh, it took me a while to kind of just understand the power of a prayer life. And when I was, when I gave my life to God at the age of 13, well, God began to show me around the age of 16 or 17, I have to deal with your perception of love. And I had no idea what God was talking about. I said, God, I'm fine. I'm fine with my perception of love. He said, no, there's a lot of unforgiveness that you have towards your father. And it's starting to seep into your relationship with your heavenly father. And it was one of those things that I never realized until God took the time to expose it to me, but he exposed it to me out of love. And he said, if I don't deal with this area, it will ultimately affect your relationship with me and affect your relationship with all those that I've called you to minister to and just in ministry in your family and connect to. And I'm a firm believer that your relationship with God, your direct relationship with God is a direct reflection of the way that you treat and view others. 100%. Yes, because if you have an understanding of the love of God, and that has already been something that God has a true reflection of that with you, you'll know how to love others appropriately when you know how to love God appropriately, you'll know how to love yourself appropriately. And ultimately, you'll know how to love people appropriately. It's all intertwined. And so I think one thing that I had to understand was I had a really difficult time becoming vulnerable with God. When I would go into the prayer room, I would have all these walls up and I'll never forget when God exposed this to me. He said, you say you trust me, Dacia, but right after you pray a prayer of faith, you go up and you pick up a sword and a shield Mm. and ultimately defend yourself. Why don't you let me defend you? And then that's when God exposed it to me. It's because no one defended you as a child. No one was there to stand up for you as a child. You had to do that all on your own. So when it comes to your relationship with Christ, you feel like you've got to do that with me, Dacia. And I'm kind of just having this dialogue with God uh, as I'm sharing this with you, but you feel like you have to do that with me, Dacia. You feel like you've got to pick up a sword and you've got to pick up this shield and, and do it all by yourself. And you don't let me fight your battles because you've never known what it's like to have someone defend you and fight for you. And that was a big wake up call for me because God said, you're treating what has taken place in your earthly home and you're viewing it in your spiritual home and what your father did to you on the earth. You're starting to let it affect the perception of your heavenly father. And I've got to deal with you on the subject of love. And I understand that you never had it, but you need to let me become it and you need to let me defend you. And I feel like that's the case with a lot of individuals 
Mm -hmm. I, I can't tell you numerous times that I've gone and I've been very blessed to just speak to young people that that is one of the biggest hindrances that I feel a lot of young people have with their breakthroughs. They can't be vulnerable with God because something happened in their own personal life with a parent, with someone that they should have trusted for love and it was not reciprocated. And that begins to affect their relationship with their heavenly father. So God had to really deal with me on that subject. And when he dealt with me on that, that's when I began to see such a shift in the way that I love God openly, vulnerably, honestly. And it's scary. Yes, it is at the beginning. And I don't think it ever kind of stops being scary because some of those little moments come up, but God's grace helps you. And that's why I had to understand I have to be vulnerable with you if I'm ever going to receive my breakthrough. I have to be willing to be honest with you because it's that honesty that leaves me vulnerable, but it's that vulnerability that lets you come in to those crevices of my heart and just deal with them the way that you need to deal with them. And that was ultimately what led me to my one of the greatest breakthroughs of my spiritual walk understanding that God had to deal with the vulnerabilities and the weaknesses of me as a child, not having that love, ultimately getting that love from God. And I'll even take it Mm -hmm. a step further. I don't think I had a difficulty understanding that God loves me. I had a difficulty, and this is something that a lot of people don't talk about, letting myself be loved. Yeah. A lot of people, they know God loves them, but they don't let themselves be loved because they don't feel like they deserve it. They don't feel like they're good enough to deserve God's love. And they ultimately build these walls where they don't let God's love in. God's love is willing to come in just like a crashing ocean and embrace us. But it's us that sometimes put walls of Jericho and we don't let the love of God come in because we feel like we don't deserve it because of what what we've experienced. What we've been told, you don't deserve that love. You're not good enough. So we don't let the love of God embrace us. And I think that's just a whole nother subject Mm -hmm. on itself. But we have to let God, and and to anyone listening to this, understand that God loves you, but let yourself be loved because you will rob yourself of what the love of God has the ability to do. If you will just let yourself be loved Know that God's love is available, it's willing, and it's waiting to embrace you. That's why he died. He didn't die for any perfect person. He didn't die based off your measurements. And isn't that so beautiful that that's the power of grace and love? It doesn't depend on our measurements. It depends on what God's willingness was just able to do at the cross. So Mm -hmm. don't measure God's love towards yourself. Just let yourself be loved. And that's one of the greatest lessons I had to learn for myself. And I'm so grateful. God taught me that he exposed that area to me. And now I can ultimately say that I embrace God's love fully and for what it is and the beauty of what it is. And I am rejoicing with you that you have found that because there are many of us uh, in the church who are trying to walk this walk with God and who are still being held back from a certain blessing because they cannot let go. They cannot forgive. And I, I, I appreciate everything that you share is so powerful. You know, one of the biggest things that, that God has taught me, especially when it comes to forgiveness is we cannot wait for an apology. Yeah. You may never get an, I'm sorry. The person might not be there or the yeah. timing might be gone. 
So if you're waiting for someone to say, I'm sorry, before you forgive them, that is not the will of God. And it's so hard because that feels so good when somebody sees that that they're wrong. They see that they have wronged you and they come to you and say, I'm sorry. The only way that that can happen is is if that person truly is repentant and most people aren't. So for us to expect people who don't have God or who are just not in the same, you know, uh, uh, season, I guess, of life. Uh, who might be, who maybe they're saved, maybe they're not saved, but to expect somebody else, a flawed human being, to get to that repentance every time they do something wrong, it's just not going to happen, unfortunately. Uh, But we can still forgive, even if we don't get the I'm sorry. And that has been such a big thing for me, especially if we talk about, you know, our parents who are, all flawed. They've done the best that they could. And there was something that just came across my screen the other day that literally just said, forgive your parents. They were trying to, or something like that. And I understand that in this case, in your case, there was definitely somewhere that the standard for the household was set to be more extreme than obviously it should have been. And so this makes it extremely difficult to forgive someone who purposely hurt you physically and in ways that are very manipulative and damaging. Mm -hmm. And so I think that takes this, your whole story, your whole um, message to just a different level that God can only work miracles in because we, in our own minds, cannot battle without God. And I love what you said about picking up the sword and the shield and having to battle for yourself because nobody did it for you as a child. I think that will resonate to a lot of people, even people who come from homes that probably didn't even have abuse, but they were probably felt neglected anyway. There's so many different types of neglect, but for your case, you truly didn't have somebody come in and take you out of that situation um until obviously much later so i i was thinking about how you said that your your mom got remarried to someone of the same descent as your original as your original father um and so you know you had mentioned in in the testimony that i had i had seen that you remember watching your your father who i'm guessing is your stepfather at this part of your life pray to false idols Do you want to speak about that? Yeah, it's interesting because out of a lot of things of my childhood that I have remembered, but also I have my fair share of forgetting, that's one of the vivid pictures that just stayed glued to my memory. And so I was around maybe nine years old. And I remember walking down the hallway of our home and looking into uh, my mother and stepfather's bedroom at the time. And I remember seeing my dad with kind of this piece of uh, clothing around his head. And I looked at the wall because he looked very focused at what he was looking at the wall. And I remember kind of just turning my head and looking at the wall. And it was like a painting of uh, one of their Indian gods just plastered on the wall. And I remember being so confused when I seen that because 
you know, as a child, your parents definitely present the way that you perceive the world. And mm-hmm. uh, I remember thinking to myself, well, is this, is this truth? Is this the identity that is meant to be given to myself? Is, is this the culture that I'm going to follow? Is this what will become of me, what I will serve? And uh, that was a very vivid upbringing for me, just seeing false gods being brought into our home, everything away from what is truth, from what is the gospel, from what ultimately is just the name of Jesus. It was everything straight away from that. And the reality of everything that was false and everything that was hopeless, it's because it was false that it was hopeless. And so I remember looking at those pictures and absolutely thinking, well, you know, is this God? Is this who I'm going to serve? And it, and is this my answer? It, it seems to be my father's God. And and is because if it if it's my father's God, well, what if it's my father's answer? So I think just being at a very vulnerable spot where you're trying to figure out what truth is, but trying to figure out if this truth can even help. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's just so interesting to see, and even just taking it a step further. Uh, me and my sister, my twin sister, we had uh, a photo shoot a couple of years ago, and every year I think we started it like in our early twenties. Um, when we were around 20 or 21, we started doing photo shoots for our birthday every year. And we kind of just liked the idea of getting pictures because we're like, man, we want to look back and see how we looked yeah. when we're a lot older. So one of the years that we were getting ready to do our photo shoot, we were brainstorming ideas. And my sister said, well, why don't we do something a little different this year? Why don't we embrace our Indian culture? And I said, well, what, what were you thinking? She said, well, Dasya, we've never done pictures or never kind of embrace just the clothing that the women in the Indian culture wear. Why don't we kind of just do a photo shoot dressed in those pieces of clothing? And so I was thinking about it. I'm like, you know, we actually haven't really embraced that that side of our culture. And so we decided to follow through with a photo shoot uh, where we are dressed and kind of like these Indian sashes that uh, we, we had bought and looked into. And I didn't think much of it, but when the photographer sent us the result of that photo shoot and I opened up that photo album, it just hit me. Mm. Just seeing me dressed in that Indian clothing hit me. And I remember I had to kind of just step away from, you know, the living room that I was in and just kind of go and find some time alone with God. Because there was something about seeing me dressed in my Indian culture that just hit me and showed me this is what should have become of me. Mm. I should have never known truth. I should have never known what it's like to encounter the one true God. This should have been my culture and ultimately become my identity. I should have never known this Jesus Christ. Mm. And it just hit me. I think I was 21 or 22. And in that moment, there was just something revolutionary that happened. I had always, of course, understood the power of my testimony and my story, but there was just something about seeing me dressed in that culture. Because ultimately, a lot of times your culture becomes your identity, who you are, the way that you perceive the world. And I should have never known this truth because I should have been everything away from this truth because Mm -hmm. of my upbringing. My my culture had the dominant hand. That should have been my identity. But God worked through that. And it just really is such a 
such a vivid snapshot in my memory, but such a, a, a snapshot where I look at and I say, God, you were just intricately a part of every detail. And you led me to your truth, despite something else having the dominant hand. And isn't it just so beautiful how we can grow up in these environments and, and all these other things should have had the dominant hand, but God still went in there like a mighty right arm and rescued us. And we are now living the story of his truth and his identity. I think that's just so powerful. It's amazing. It's incredible. And you know what, when you were talking, it reminded me of a discussion that I had on a, a, on a previous podcast, probably back when we had testimonies. I remember mentioning it to you before we were recording around 2020, when I had the, the testify series around season four, I had uh, Stacy, uh, Chavis on and um, she also comes from an Indian background. And she was, we were talking about the same, the same kind of in a similar vein, because being Puerto Rican, like I talked to you about before, um, it's, it's so crazy to feel just this pull towards a culture to right. where you are almost expected to adopt everything without question. This is your identity. And anything that you do outside of that, you feel like you're a traitor. And right. there's so much guilt attached to that. And I remember God really putting it in my mind in a way, almost like he was saying that we are being adopted into his culture. Mm. And even though he's the God over every nation, he's the God over every person, and he loves everyone, we are to be born again. So we are born into his lineage. We no longer have to take on what people are trying to put on our shoulders. And as much as we can still appreciate, not saying we can't appreciate, you know, what we have, you know, in our, in our cultures and different things like that. I love being Puerto Rican. I still call myself Puerto Rican. Of course, I still, you know, uh, I love many parts of it. But when we, when we talk about the spirituality and the religion behind it, we have to truly understand that, like you were saying, if it's fake, it can't save us. Right. And so as much as I love my culture too, I'm listening to you and I'm like, I love being Puerto Rican, but if that means I have to be uh, Catholic and I have to adopt that, then I can't do it based on what I know. Now, obviously just because you are adopted into the family of God doesn't mean it strips you of, you know, who you're meant to be, who, who he's made you to be. And so, you know, I can still be Puerto Rican, but I follow him. I follow his culture. I follow his word. I follow his law. I delight in the law of the Lord, right? And in his law, do I meditate day and night? Um, and so I, 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 I can understand how you must have felt and, and how that must have been challenging for you seeing that. Um, and it was almost like, like it had to happen so that you had confirmation that you were going the right way. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. And I just I just think it's so interesting. I want to thank you for bringing that point up, because that's such a powerful point. 
where we a lot of times tie in our our culture to, to our overall identity. Right. And so, you know, that just kind of even brings me back a little bit just just to scripture. You know, when God had just one nation designated unto Abraham, but when the people decided that they wanted to build this tower that was so high to mm. reach the capacity of the sky and to reach heaven and in a way just kind of self-glorify themselves, that's what at the Tower of Babel, that's when God allowed all nations to take place. Well, I'm going to change your language so you won't understand each other. And ultimately, it went from being a God culture to a man culture. Mm -hmm. So there's nothing wrong with embracing your culture that you have. Be proud of it. God has, you know, obviously designated you to be in that culture. But it's dangerous when we allow our man culture to get in the way of our God culture. Because mm -hmm. that is when the Tower of Babel took place, when they tried to do things their own way, when they tried to build a tower so high that it'll reach the sky and in a way reach God. And God's seen the pride of man. And that's when he allowed all the languages to be changed. And that's ultimately where different nations, different languages, different cultures came to be. And so we have to be careful when we allow our just culture to take over the culture of God, because man will always a lot of times be everything against God culture. And we have to be careful to not let those intertwine, but let our identity in God be greater than our identity in man and the culture that comes with it. Right. Right. Amen. I love that so much. And it gives people a lot of hope. And I, I really, I feel hopeful um, because you're going to have maybe that moment where you feel like you have to choose between A or B and God comes yes. in and says, nope, you can choose C, Christ. <laughs> right, right, uh-huh. Um, so, you know, you've seen him, you've seen your stepdad, you know, worship these false idols. You know, you have it in your mind, like all these different questions and, and you really are trying to seek out, you know, what's the truth and I was curious how old you were when the abuse stopped, if you can speak on that, if you're comfortable. Of course. And so um, I could say the abuse began around the age of three. That was kind of like my youngest memory that I can remember. And so my parents got divorced when I was around uh, the age of 13. Mm -hmm. And so I could say the physical abuse on my father's side stopped around that time because he was no longer in the home. Um, but the emotional and verbal abuse, what was actually really unfortunate and really sad was uh, when my father kind of stepped aside from the picture, what kind of took over with my mother. Mm. And so uh, that abuse continued with my mother more dominantly in the emotional and the verbal side from her, not as much on the physical side, although it was still something that was present, but the emotional and verbal abuse continued with my mother, I, I would say, you know, up to around like 20 years old, even. Mm -hmm. And so that was something that was ongoing for, uh, you know, pretty much all of my childhood and most of my teenage years. And so that was uh, kind of the context of when the abuse started and continued. And mm -hmm. so it definitely has taken a process of healing um, because of how long the, the abuse has taken, but God has been just so good through it all. And, you know, as, 
as much as the reality of that abuse happened, you know, I, I love my parents. I definitely have forgiven them. God has dealt with me on that subject, but I think to answer your question, it's important to kind of touch basis on the reality of how mm-hmm. long the abuse happened and, and when it took place. Yeah. Um, it's one reason why I, you know, I wanted to give you a chance to just share that part um, because it does kind of give us, you know, a little bit of context as far as like, what you had to endure and also puts the spotlight that a lot of the times abusers are victims themselves first and um, it doesn't make it right clearly, but it just gives us an understanding of where they're coming from. And that could be an open door towards our healing and towards our forgiveness is seeing them as people who are flawed and who truly, you know, hurt people, hurt people, you know, and, um, I was also, you know, trying to think of the age that you were saying you started going to church and having to deal with church, but also going back home, knowing that you had to still deal with that. Just the night and day of it all must have been challenging. So when was the moment you truly felt that there was a spiritual change within yourself? Like, when did God truly meet you? I know you were talking about at the age of 11. Do you have like a specific moment that you can recall? Yes, I think I can uh, pinpoint uh, a few more than just one moment. Uh, I know the very first time I walked into an apostolic church, it was the local church that I attend still to this day, but we had gone to this kind of kid service out of town. And I remember all these kids kind of rallied up in, in this big van. And we, I, I honestly thought we were like going to the arcade. I didn't even know we were going to a church service. I'm like, okay, we're going to go play some games at an arcade. And, <laughs> and I was dressed in, in, in like these basketball shorts. I was a big tomboy growing up uh, mm-hmm. in these basketball shorts and like these basketball sneakers. And we arrived to this church. And I remember thinking to myself, wait, this is a church. This is not an arcade like we had planned. And uh, we get off of the van and we go into this church and uh, the young ladies were sitting in a section with the young ladies and the young gentlemen in a section. And me and my sister were next to each other and we were about 11 or 12 years old. And this was a service completely dedicated to just kids our age, like 10 through 14 middle school in a sense. And I remember I showed up to this service and I was just so confused. I had never seen like this many young ladies just dress modestly, uh, you know, these kids just worshiping. I, it was completely just a different culture shock for me. And I remember that night, the preacher at this service spoke about God's love. And I remember sitting here listening to every word he was saying, and I tried my best to fight it off. Because mm-hmm. going back to that subject where I say, you, you struggle to feel loved and to feel like you could embrace this love. And I think that was very difficult for me to embrace growing up and receiving the love of God, thinking that this love could be for me too, for broken kids like me too, and flawed kids like me too. And so I remember hearing this preacher and he invited all the kids to come up and uh, pray in the altar where the preacher had spoken about the love of God. And it was the first time that I had ever heard that a God can love me. And I remember sitting there thinking to myself, wait, a God so big and so massive is real. 
And he loves someone as teeny tiny as me with all the flaws, all the baggage, all the scars that I have that Mm. can't be real. And they go up to the altar. And I remember the daughter of the babysitter, which I mentioned was kind of the Sunday school teacher. She tries to get me to go up to the altar and pray with the rest of the kids. And I, I, I just wanted nothing to do with it. But finally, just to kind of get her off my shoulder, I went up there and I kind of just plopped down at the altar. And I, I didn't even have any idea how to pray. I didn't even know what I was doing. I was looking at these kids, just kind of thinking, what in the world are you doing? Just get me out of here. I want <laughs> nothing to do with this. But I remember I kind of just sat there and I didn't even know what to say. But I just kind of looked up at the ceiling. I said, fine. I kind of had this internal conversation with me and God, which I didn't believe was real. But I said, "Uh, well, I'll give it a chance. Let's see. Maybe something will come out of it. And I just kind of under my breath told God, just why would you allow me to go through all of this? And are you real? And in that moment, if I could just kind of describe it, it was like this rushing wind just broke through in that atmosphere. It's like everything else disappeared. It was just me and this heavenly force in that room. And all of a sudden I began to cry uncontrollably and I began to feel just this warmth, just from the, 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 just the crown of my feet, just to the, just to, I mean, just from the soles of my feet to the crown of my head, I began to feel this just overpowering just warmth and fire all over me. And I began to feel this internal joy that I have never felt before. And if I can describe it in an analogy, it would be like wanting a hug for 10 years and Mm -hmm. finally feeling this warmth embrace you despite your flaws, despite what baggage you came with, but just hold you and just put your head on this God's lap on this God's chest and just hold you as just a beloved daughter. And it was like wanting to feel true love all of your life and finally feeling it in that moment. And I remember I ran up to the, to the daughter of the babysitter. I said, what was that? I was confused, but I was also happy because I've never felt anything like that. I was just so just it was it, I was just it was so I was dumbfounded because I had no idea what that was and I'll never forget she put her hand on my shoulder and she said Dacia you have just experienced the love of God for the very first time mm-hmm. and I remember thinking this is a feeling I never want to let go of let me sit here at your feet Jesus yes. Let me just sit here all the days of my life because I am, I am convinced I will never feel anything so powerful, so real, but so sweet as honey, like this feeling that I felt in this moment. And it was that revolutionary moment that got me to say, I want, I want to serve God. I want to know this God. I obviously know that I can feel him. So he must be real. And isn't that so amazing about God in comparison to all these other false gods, you'll feel him. He'll touch you. And the ultimate biggest evidence of that is the gift of the Holy ghost. And I think that was the second, uh, a just revolutionary moment when God filled me with the Holy ghost, I felt something so profound change within me that I knew this had to be true. Mm. I knew this had to be real because this wasn't just a God that I could hear about or just a God that 
the scriptures talked about, but it was a God I could intimately feel. And that's what did it for me. A lot of these atheists, they're wanting to know that something is real beyond just just the perception of what well, we hear about this God, but mm-hmm. let us feel him. They're very driven uh, by uh, we have to see it first. And what's so amazing about God is he doesn't just flow in faith you know, seeing what you haven't seen yet, the evidence of things hoped for the, you know, just things not seen right. yet, but he's a God of, okay, you want me to show you, here's my gift of the Holy ghost. Here's right. my gift of my infilling here. It is intimately presented within you and right before you. And right. I think that's to me what it did it for me. And I don't tell a lot of people this, but I, I truly feel that if I continue to go in the pathway that I was in of not just not meeting God and not knowing God, I would have really become an atheist because Mm -hmm. I had such a hard heart towards a God that could be real because of what I experienced. And uh, it was just one of those moments where God said, I know what I'm dealing with. And that's, what's so beautiful about God. He knows what he is ultimately having to come across and the walls that he's having to tear down in certain, certain children of his, and he knows, and he'll match it. He'll say, I know the level of your pain will match it with the level of my truth and vividness in the way that I'll show up to you. And that's what he did to me. He knew the situation that I had undergone as a child, and he knew the evidence that he had to come and present himself in. And he had to come present himself as this tangible God with love and show himself in the gift of the Holy Ghost to me. And that's just so amazing the way that he'll show himself to those individuals that really need themselves to just be shown by God. And that's what he did with me. So I can pinpoint two moments. It was when I first felt the love of God. And when I first received the gift of the Holy Ghost. The evidence. (laughs) Oh, yes. The evidence. Exactly. I love that so much. There's nothing more powerful than God literally pouring out his spirit and it just flowing into these vessels who are unworthy who are broken yes. and he fills them up and makes them new. It is such a beautiful thing and it's such an amazing promise. I'm so grateful for it. And, you know, man can stop a lot of things. We cannot stop what God is going to do and who gets to be filled with his yes. spirit. And I love that. And I, and I love that he does things that are, total in like total left field of our apostolic plan sometimes you know what i mean Uh, god can fill somebody on the street right now and the whole church would go wild you know it's like he's gonna do what he wants to do and i love that about him because he truly loves the soul he wants everyone to have the opportunity to be saved he gives everybody the chance so that they can have eternal life so that they can enter into heaven with him and be with him forever. And I love that so much. And um, so what encouraging words would you say to the person out there who has dealt with abusive trauma and who are transitioning into maybe getting out of it or still dealing with some of the effects while still being in church while they're trying to heal? What would you say to them? This is such an important question, and I'm really grateful that you brought this up. Uh, I think where I would start with this question is understanding that your abuse and trauma is not your identity. 
I can't tell you how many individuals I've met God has allowed me to come across that they feel like their label of what they have gone through is who they are. And if we continue to label ourselves by what we've gone through, we will become the identity of our victimization, not the identity of being a victor through God. I think identity is a big focus a lot of times when it comes to an individual that has dealt with this, because a lot of times you feel like you are what you went through, but you're not, you're, you're everything God states that you are. And God is so amazing that he's not, he, I can honestly refer to God as a lot of times with the, um, the, the subjective form of just the word or, um, the little re re in front of it. So when you think of God, you think of God just being like a redeemer, a restorer. He is everything that has the ability to have a turnaround. And when you let yourself be found in his identity, you can also ultimately be led to let yourself be found in the healing of him as well. I think it's important to understand that when it comes to healing and the transition of it, healing is not going to happen overnight. I do believe that there are certain situations where God could absolutely heal you in the moment of, but certain things that have deeper wounds, like abuse and trauma, those take time. And it's because a lot of times it's a process, but God is trying to teach us through this process, but turn it around through this process. And so I think it's important to understand that you may not be there yet for anyone that's transitioning into that. It took me years. And I'm not saying it, it'll be that same scenario for everyone else. Everyone's different because, of course, everyone understands the story the way that they understand it through God. But for me, it just took it took me years because that's how long the abuse was for me. So it took a little bit longer than maybe someone that maybe it wasn't as long or for another individual. It may be longer. It just depends. You can't put a time stamp on healing. Mm-hmm. But I will say this. You it's it's so encouraging to know the healer. That although we can't put a timestamp on it, we can know the healer is already working and is already in the process of the healing. So I think what I would encourage anyone that is wanting to just continue that transition of healing, or maybe they're not there yet, don't lose heart. Because I believe it's not God's will for you to be oppressed. And I will, oh my goodness, I will put that on my gravestone. It is not God's will for you to be oppressed and live a life of oppression. That's not God's will. It's very interesting because for our district, our theme this year is victorious. And I remember when I was praying about what God wanted to give our district this year as a theme, God kept bringing the word victorious to me. And it really ties into this question. I want to emphasize it on this. And I kept asking God, well, God, why not the word victory? Why the word victorious? It's like God was making it an action, not so much just a description. I said, God, why an action? Why an identity and not just an action um, of just the word victory? Something taking place, not an identity. Because when you think of the word victory, it's something that has to take place Mm -hmm. in order for you to feel like you receive the victory. Well, the word victorious isn't so much an action, it's an identity. And I remember praying about that. And I said, God, why are you focusing our district more on an identity versus an action. And God said, because a lot of times individuals will feel like they have to overcome something 
in order to feel like they have the victory. But I want to take you from not just feeling like you have to overcome, although that is the goal, but to being people that continually live in an identity of being Mm -hmm. victorious. Don't just wait for something to take place for you to feel like you're victorious. A situation has to have happened. A Goliath has to come down. A mountain has to be moved. And although we pray and we hope for that coming to pass, but can we still be victorious even when we're going through the valley? Can we still be victorious even when the mountain hasn't moved? Can we still be victorious even when we're facing a Goliath? Absolutely. And so God wanted to take our district from not just having overcome, but to being victorious in an identity continually, even before it takes place. So I think it's so important that when it comes to the subject of healing, that we may not be healed yet, but that doesn't mean we're anything less than the identity that God has called us to be. It may not have taken place yet, but that doesn't mean you're not what God has said you are. It's, it's, it's the goal, of course, to overcome and be healed, but that doesn't mean just because you're not there yet, you are anything less or outside of the identity of God. So to anyone that is probably in the, in the situation or in the transition of getting to healing, continue to pray, continue to fast hold steadfast to the word of God, because those are key things, taking on the whole armor of God that will lead you to that healing. But just don't ever exempt yourself from that identity because you're not there yet. It's coming, claim it and be the identity, not just an action of victory. Right, amen. And I am not surprised that you keep mentioning identity because literally in every single interview that we have done, for this season of the podcast, it has been brought up. And I'm so grateful that God can transform our identity and we can rely on him to truly show us who we are made to be. And even when we are confused and we are still healing, he is with us and he takes our hand and he walks through the storm with us. And I'm reminded of the story of Peter. Everybody always says, you know, Peter had doubt and he sunk. But, you know, when God reached and held Peter's hand. They had to walk back to the storm together. Yes. And you know, we it doesn't matter what is coming our way. He is with us. He has a plan. And like you said, the healing is already going to, to come our way. And we just have to hold on to him. And I, I love what you said there about, about victory. I'm going to have to chew on that for a while because it's just a, just a different perspective. And I think that's so important. Um, to have that change in our mind of how we view that. So right now you are walking with the Lord today. You are speaking from a place of redemption. We're not saying that the life of a Christian is perfect, of course, but how do you feel about where you are and what God has done? Oh, it's a very emotional thing for me. I often say that there are two things that I wake up every single day remembering. The first is the commitment that I made to God when I gave my life to him, when I married God ultimately. And the second one is where God brought me out of. I am actually very interconnected to just childhood Dacia. I'm very interconnected to her. I remember her every single day. 
I remember what she's gone through, but it's because I remember what she's gone through. It also connects to the puzzle piece of what God has brought me out of. Uh, I, I, I remember that every single day. And I think for me, uh, I'll never forget when God gave me this analogy and I just want to share it on this podcast. I remember God gave me this analogy of kind of, let's say I I'm looking for a job and he asked me this question one day. He said, Dossi, is there any job that will hire you with no qualifications? And it was just such a random question that came to my thoughts one day. And I kind of started to think about it. And I said, yeah, I can name a few jobs that won't hire you, uh, <laughs> that will hire you with any qualifications not being met. And I started to name a few. I kind of started to think about my jobs when I was in high school. Here where I live, uh, it's very huge for uh, just harvesting a lot of fruit, a lot of field work. And one of the things a lot of students out here do during their summers when they're in high school is they go out and work in agriculture. Uh, I, I, I live in the Central Valley of California, and it's uh, often referred to as the fruit basket of the world because we harvest a lot of fruit and vegetables and uh, a lot of students just to make some quick, easy money, but they're not required to be over 18 or anything like that will go and work in agriculture over the mm -hmm. summer. And I remember telling God that I'm like, well, uh, I didn't have to be 18 and I didn't have to have this diploma of high school or any college education. I was able to work in agriculture. And then all of a sudden, it's like I'm having this dialogue with God and God begins to tell me, but wasn't it tedious work? What if you didn't have, Dossier, uh, the ability to maybe do the job in a well-functioning a uh, just manner. What if you mm -hmm. didn't have a hand? And I think of, you know, right there, we had to pick, of, we had to pick the grapes with certain scissors that we had, we had to clean them and package them. And God said, well, what if you didn't have a hand? Would that in a way uh, withhold you back from being able to do the job as effectively? And I started to think, well, well, yeah. And then it started to get into this kind of just a uh, rabbit hole of, well, what if I wasn't bodily able to do the job? Maybe I didn't have to have the degree, but what if mentally I couldn't perform the job or uh, I, it wasn't just something that I performed well in. Right. And I just start to get into this entire just kind of sequence of, well, if I didn't have the capacity to do this, then I couldn't do this. And ultimately it led me to the conclusion, no matter what job it is, God, if I can't perform well in the workplace, or let's say I couldn't mobily move or something in my body health-wise hindered me from doing the job, I probably wouldn't be hired to do the job in the first place. And I kind of just got myself in this stuck point. And I'm like, God, what are you trying to teach me here? I'm a little frustrated. And God said, there is no job that will hire you with any sort of qualification to an extent needing to be met. Every certain job will require some qualification, whether it's schooling, or just mentally being able to do it, or just being able to perform the job well, you will need to have some sort of qualification, no matter on what broad range it is. And I remember just kind of thinking to myself, God, what are you trying to tell me? He said, when I hired you, and when I gave you a chance, in my grace, I did not require you to have any qualification. I just hired you. I just let you have a chance. 
And that was grace. You didn't have to meet any requirement. You didn't have to be bodily abled. You didn't have to mentally know how to do the job. You you were at point zero, Dacia. But I came in and I said, you didn't need to meet anything. You didn't need to have to come from a pastoral family and bless the, the right. ones that do. You did not have to come from a ministerial family. You did not have to be third, fourth generation apostolic. You didn't even have to know my name, Dacia, but I let you come in and I hired you and I gave you a chance when every other job overlooked you. I gave you a chance of grace. I brought you in. And that to me just was an analogy I've never Mm. forgot. Because it's not so much that God expects anything of you when I'm making the analogy of a job, but it's because he doesn't uh, uh, come with a, and ultimately God told me, you, you know what we often do? We come to God with a resume and we say, this is why you should hire me. This Mm -hmm. is what I've got to offer you. And God's saying, I don't need you to show me what you have to offer me. Rip that resume and throw it in the, in the trash. I just want you. And isn't that so beautiful when it's just the description of grace, grace doesn't require you to fit any sort of measurement of requirement. That's why it's so powerful. Grace wasn't deserving. It's because it was non-deserving, but God still chose to give it to us. And so a lot of times, anyone that's hearing this, rip your resume up. Don't come to God and feel like you have to have a resume. Of course, when God transforms us and leads us to that process, of course, we want to uphold ourselves to the best standard that we can unto God. But we don't feel we don't feel like you have to have a certain qualification to be accepted by God. God's not looking for that requirement. God just wants you, your willingness and your heart, and he's going to do the rest. He's going to take care of everything. But just understand that God wants you, not your resume. And I think for me, when I think of a place of redemption, it's something that I never forget. I am very just interconnected to younger Dacia because of what God did for me. He didn't want my resume. He wanted my heart. And that's the beauty of grace. Amen. Yes. I mean, that's freedom. That's freedom right there. And I it's one of those things. I, I appreciate that. I love that so much. God does also bring a lot of analogies to my mind when he's teaching me and I'm listening and I've never heard it in that way before. And it's just so encouraging because God wants his children to be free. He wants us to feel free. He wants us to live free. And that's what redemption is. It's living in freedom. And I'm so grateful that he has touched you and has blessed you and has brought you, you know, in on this path and that our paths have crossed. And it's one of the most beautiful things about being part of the kingdom of God is you're literally on the other side of the United States. I'm on the East coast. You're on the West coast, but we're still related through the kingdom of God. And I think it's so beautiful And our stories are different, but they're so similar in a lot of ways. And I just am so encouraged by you, by your heart, by your passion. I know that people listening are also going to be touched and blessed. And I would love for you to just take time, just a little bit more time to share with us anything else that God has been teaching you lately and any encouraging last words for us. Of course, I think one of the biggest lessons God has really been teaching me is to be an individual that responds and 
influences out of a place of the Holy Ghost and not my own humanity. I'm very grateful for the ministry opportunities and the doors that God has opened for me. It really is grace and all because of him. But as an individual in ministry, it could be so easy to get caught up in wanting to influence other people or allow change to take place through our own humanity. And I think one of the things God has really been teaching me is that the Holy Ghost can do more in a few minutes than our own humanity can in a lifetime. To be an individual that is inspirational versus being led of the Holy Ghost is a very different thing. I believe inspiration depends on man and the Holy Ghost depends on Christ inspiration gets the results of man, the Holy Ghost gets the results of God. You know, in this last hour, I think we've been seeing a lot of just influencers take place, a lot of platforms and a lot of spaces for individuals that want to be influencers and motivational speakers. And, and, and that's all great. But when it comes to making an everlasting impact through the kingdom of God. We don't need more motivational speakers or people that are influencers, TikTok influencers, Instagram mm-hmm. influencers in this last hour. We need Holy Ghost led people. Cause mm-hmm. I got to tell you, inspiration may motivate someone. If I'm trying to motivate someone to let's say change a habit that they've been doing, that motivation can last a few days. It, it'll probably take them, you know, a few weeks, that motivation that they can write off of. But when it comes to an inspiration of the Holy Ghost, when Mm -hmm. it comes to impacting people through the Holy Ghost, how is it that I can remember what a preacher said five years ago? And to this day, it has the power to impact and influence me. And I'll never forget that word, that fresh word that they spoke. Why? Because it was not spoken out of a place of being a motivational through man and trying to impact through man, but it was spoken out of a place of the Holy Ghost. And I think to anyone listening that is in ministry, that will be in ministry one day, you yourself are such a big individual that is influencing people through God, through the Holy Ghost. I think it's so important to understand that everything that we do, let it one be into the glory of God for his name and his name only. We're just vessels and instruments, but two, let us be individuals that seek to impact and influence through the Holy Ghost, not our own humanity, because our own humanity can only take us so far and can only have certain results. But when we influence out of the Holy Ghost, that has the ability to have an everlasting result Mm. because God is everlasting. So everything that comes out of him will be everlasting, will be impacting and will absolutely point to him. Right. Right. Amen. Such powerful words and thoughts. I, I'm so grateful for your insight. I mean, there's so much wisdom there that God has given you in how to, you know, operate in this life uh, for such a time as this. I mean, yeah, we're living in the days of the influencer for sure. And obviously, as somebody who is, you know, um, who really does use social media for what I feel, you know, God wants me to use it for. Um, there's definitely a fine line there and we have to be in tune with God to know how to use these avenues as a blessing 
and not just for our own glory, but to build up the kingdom of God, to build up the glory of God, um, to shine a light on him and, and what he wants to get done. And uh, Dacia, I'm just so thankful for you being on the podcast today, for sharing your heart with us, your story. I love what God has done. He's such a beautiful, amazing, loving God. And I would be honored if you would just let everybody know where they can find you, connect with you online and on social media. Of course. I want to thank you so much for having me on. This truly was a blessing and a joy to be able to be on here. And I pray that this blesses every listener that hears this. Uh, This podcast has definitely been such a blessing. And so as far as social media, um, I am on Instagram, on Twitter, and on Facebook. You could just search me up by my name, Dacia Dillon. Um, I believe my username on Instagram is uh, just Dacia Dillon. And so those are kind of the platforms that I'm more on uh, Twitter and Instagram, but you can definitely find me there. And thank you so much for having me on. Of course. Thank you for taking the time and being with us today. Thank you. If you found this episode inspiring or helpful, would you take a screenshot of it and share it on your Instagram stories, tagging me at HelloAwesomeLive? I would be so encouraged. Also, please leave a five-star review in iTunes or Apple Podcasts, sharing how God used this to bless you. Don't forget to subscribe so you can tune into future episodes. To learn more about Hello Awesome and shop inspirational products, head to HelloAwesome.Live using the promo code Hello 10 for 10% off your next purchase. Until next time, keep your chin up beautiful.